Turn with me in your copy of God's Word to Psalm 146. And this psalm actually begins a sort of final movement, Psalm 146 through 145, to, to the end of the book of Psalms. So I wasn't sure what to end with, whether end with the end in the summer in the Psalms or like end with the beginning of the end. So we're ending with the beginning of the end at the book of Psalms with Psalm 146. Here now, God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations, praise the Lord. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's ask for his blessing upon the preaching of it here. Our God, we come to your word knowing that we need the illumination of your Holy Spirit. We ask for you to provide that for us now. Apply to our hearts everything you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So I found an article on Reader's Digest. I didn't even know that was a thing in publication anymore. Uh, but yes, Reader's Digest still exists. And I read this article online, and it was extraordinary stories about the power of trust. And so this lady named Lisa Randolph, through a series of you know, medical issues, her son was born five weeks premature, uh, which is not you know, intensely premature these days, but he was born premature. Everything seemed fine, but then one day she noticed that there was some blood in his diaper, and her pediatrician said, well, you know, he's probably fine. There's, you know, blood for this reason. And she didn't trust her pediatrician. So she went to another doctor that she trusted. She said, I decided to trust another doctor. And we discovered that my son had a very serious intestinal illness, common in premature infants that can be fatal. Time was of the essence. If we had waited one more day, he could have died. He was admitted and treated for 14 days in the hospital. Today, he's 13 years old. And she says, thanks to my trust in a fantastic team of doctors. This lady in this story is praising this fantastic team of doctors, the ones who recognized the issue, tested for it, and then operated uh, and then treated you know, over the course of 14 days so that 13 years later, her son is alive. And you might have similar memories of somebody that you put your trust in and they really came through. And then what happens after that? You continue through the rest of your days to remember that moment, to, to laud them in your mind and to give them some element of praise for being so trustworthy. We have those experiences in our lives and what I want to assert is from the lesser to the greater. 
that if that's true of people in our lives and other stories that we read and hear, how much more is it of God? And so what I want you to see as we move through this psalm today is that God is praiseworthy because he is trustworthy. That's your sermon in a sentence. God is praiseworthy because he is trustworthy. And you could apply things from that. So we should praise him. So we should trust him. But simply put, God is praiseworthy because he is trustworthy. The psalmist begins with an exhortation or a call to the people to praise. In verse one to two, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. I will sing the praises. I will sing praise of the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. What does it mean to praise God? We say it a lot, praise God. It means to recognize him for what he is due. Put simply, praising God means number one, to recognize him for what he is due. Not just in what he's done, he, in everything that he's done, yes, but simply for who he is. Perfect, holy, righteous, beautiful, adorable. We usually use the word adorable with little kids, don't we? But God is adorable. We praise him because of what he is due and because of what he has done. Everything that he's done has flowed from his attributes in being merciful, gracious, and holy and loving in the person of Jesus Christ. Well, it also not only is recognizing God, but it is also exclaiming it and even singing it. Uh, the two Hebrew words, we don't need a Hebrew lesson, but one of the words is translated simply praise. And then there's another word that always means sing praise. And you see both appear here in this verse, first two verses. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. And then in the latter half of verse two, I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. That recognizing God for what he is due results in an exclamation that starts inside and then makes its way outside. Sing praises. Um, I mentioned this was like the beginning of the, you know, end of the book of Psalms. In Psalm 146 through 150, so in five Psalms, the word praise or sing praise is used 41 times. And there's actually 50, I counted the verses, I, I, as long as I counted right. There's 59 verses in Psalm 146 to 150. So out of 59 verses, 41 times, you know, an overwhelming majority praise or sing praise. It's like the end of an orchestra, the end of some grandiose musical production that at the very end is, ah! <laughs> sorry. I had a lot of songs going through my head. You'll notice a sing-songy theme in this sermon, I promise you. But maybe it's appropriate, Book of Psalms, right? Um, that, and that doesn't even include the times where the scripture says, extol him, lift up his name. You know, things that would include it. I'm, I'm talking just about praise and sing praise. It would, it would be, you know, probably more than the number of verses if you include everything else about lifting up God. Well, that's what it is. That's what we do. And now notice how long do we do it? There's a theme of duration in this sermon, in this, uh, in this passage that you'll see. As long as I live, while I have my being, I will always be doing this thing. I was reading some other stories. Um, I came across and 
came across a Medal of Honor story, which, you know, Medal of Honor citations are always very, very intense uh, because the Medal of Honor is, you know, the highest recognition, highest award for a military member. So Charles Waters was a chaplain in Vietnam in 1967. And I'm not going to read the whole citation. I'm just bullet pointing some things here of what Charles Waters, Chaplain Waters, did. When a wounded paratrooper was standing, stunned, he's wounded and stunned in the face of an assaulting enemy, Charles Waters picks him up on his shoulders and carries him to safety. As the paratroopers battle toward the first enemy entrenchment, Chaplain Waters ran through the intense enemy fire to the front of the entrenchment to aid a fallen comrade. Sometime later, the paratroopers have to pull back to prepare for a second assault. Chaplain Waters exposed himself to both friendly and enemy fire. I mean, paratroopers had to pull back. The enemy's out there. Waters knows there's friendly out there. I've got to get them. But there's still fire going back and forth. So he exposes himself to friendly and enemy fire between the two forces to recover two wounded soldiers. Later, you notice a theme here in the, in the citation as the battalion is forced to pull back and form a perimeter. So through the citation, you can infer that the U.S. forces were getting pushed back. As the U.S. forces the battalion is to pull back and form a perimeter, Chaplain Waters goes out resisting the attempts to restrain him and goes out and brings back more soldiers, several wounded soldiers. He left the perimeter three times in the face of small arms, automatic weapons, and mortar fire to assist the injured troopers to safety. Satisfied that all the wounded were inside the perimeter, he began aiding medics and giving spiritual, mental strength and comfort. It was during this time when he was mortally wounded. And he's awarded the Medal of Honor posthumously. You can be guaranteed that the men whose lives he saves, who, who, men whose lives he saved, will never stop singing the praises of Chaplain Waters, right? He went out there in enemy fire, friendly fire, and got me. When he could have just stayed behind, stayed behind friendly lines and ministered to the wounded inside, he went out and got me. If those men would sing Chaplain Waters' praises so much, how much more should we sing the praises? And this is not a perfect analogy, but the praises of Jesus who went out in the crosshairs of God. God's crosshairs were trained upon us to execute holy justice upon us. And Christ goes out and takes that bullet for us and carries us to safety. Oh, praise Jesus. He carried me back to God, back behind friendly lines. This is who we praise. And now the psalmist, he turns to the concept of trust. He praise God. And here in verses three to four, This is who not to trust. So he starts with a negative. Don't trust. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. So why should we not trust in someone else, in a man who is not God for salvation? Or why should we not trust them? Because there is no salvation in him. That's the first thing the psalmist says. 
there is no salvation in him. The second reason to not trust in someone else for salvation is because their plans are temporary. They are brief. His breath departs. He returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. And I feel like the psalmist is being intentionally messianic here by being the opposite of Jesus. And being the opposite of Jesus, he's stating what Jesus, he's indicating what Jesus did. There is salvation in Jesus. That's why we should trust him. Jesus perished, he died and went to the grave, but then he rose again, right? And his plan, his plan of salvation is actually accomplished, is actually realized or, yeah, realized by the raising from the dead. Um, And so in, in stating what the man can't provide, it indicates what Jesus actually does provide, a salvation that is accomplished, that is realized in his resurrection even. His plans didn't perish. He rose from the dead. Trust. Trust. Put not your trust in princes. Uh, in the book, I started with the, I started with the movie, uh, you know, the Jungle Book movie, the animated version, and then I realized later on in life that there's a written version, you know, by Rudyard, Clip, Rudyard Kipling. But anyway, in the Jungle Book, which if you don't know the story, it's the story of a, a little boy who is raised by wolves in the, in the Indian jungle. And he gets to a certain age and he doesn't want to leave the jungle. So he's trying to do whatever he can to stay. And he comes across one of the villains in the story named Ka, who is a giant python. And Mowgli knows Ka's tricks. He knows Ka wants to hypnotize him. So Mowgli is hiding his eyes so he can't look at Ka because he knows Ka is just trying to con him. He's just trying to con him uh, because he's an evil snake who's hungry. And Mowgli's successfully hiding his eyes until Ka says, I can ensure you never have to leave this jungle. Oh, and then that's of interest. And then their eyes meet and then Ka has him because he gave him something that he wanted to hear. And then in the animated film, he sings the song, trust in me, just in me. Uh, He was going to ensure that Mowgli never left the jungle because he would stay there dead, digesting in the python, right? He told him the truth, but it was with a twisted end. And it makes us think of who we are looking to. Is it a son of man? What are they saying? Are they saying something that is pointing my eyes to Christ? Are they saying something about godliness? Are they delivering uh, godliness or idolatry? Who is it? What are they saying? And how are they saying it? How are they going to about giving this thing that they promised? Because so often what can happen is, I believe in Jesus, trust in Jesus. Ooh, this guy said something I really like. I really want that to happen in my life, in this nation, in my school, in my workplace, whatever. And you start to have your affections drawn away and trust in someone else. Just, it's an important thing for us to keep that in mind. And you notice, you know, this, again, this theme of duration. Verse two, it was, 
I will sing praises as long as I live while I have my being. Verse four, the son of man, his breath departs. His life is over. Verse six, contrast that with God, um, who keeps faith forever duration. And then in verse 10, the Lord will reign forever. There's an intentional contrast between God and his foreverness and his longevity and man and the son of man in whom there is just temporary breath. And as we reflect upon man's breath being temporary, I want you to remember that. Your breath is temporary. One day it will expire. And if you are not trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are the man or woman or child whose plans will perish. If you're not trusting in Christ, you are, as they say, skating on thin ice. John Owen said, Satan's greatest success is in making people think they have plenty of time before they die to consider their eternal welfare. Satan's greatest success is in making people think they have plenty of time before they die to consider their eternal welfare. It's like the snake. You've got plenty of time. You don't need to worry about this Jesus stuff right now. You don't need to worry about this religious stuff that's just your parents or your grandparents. You are a vapor. The the Bible describes us as that, as a blade of grass that grows and then withers. Don't let today pass without realizing that and your need of Jesus Christ. Recognize there is salvation in no one else, not even yourself. Well, after, after the psalmist says, this is why you can't trust man, In verses five to nine, God, basically the psalmist goes through, here are the grounds for putting your trust in God. Here's the grounds for trust and praising God. First of all, it's because he's the creator. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made the heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them. He spoke the heaven and earth into existence. He created the universe. He created the plan for redemption. Who would you trust to manage or create something? If you were to commission a painting to be made, last, I think it was last night, uh, Leaf said, Daddy, I drew a big fish, and I just saw lines everywhere, and I'm like trying to find the fish. Sorry, Leaf. Who would you trust to create a painting? My son or me (laughs) or Rembrandt? You would trust Rembrandt, right? He knows what he's doing. Who would you trust to create and manage the plan for your life? But the creator of life, the one who's sovereign, providentially in control. This is part of our grounds for trust and praise in God because he's the creator. The other ground for, his, for trusting him is his longevity of faithfulness. End of verse six, who keeps faith forever. Again, that time theme. You think of advertisements for businesses. You know, America's pretty young as a nation, comparatively speaking. So you know, we get advertisements like 
been in business for 60 years or, you know, in business for 150 years. I think Remington, you know, ammunition was in business since 1816, you know, so it's been a couple hundred years. Uh, the oldest known, the oldest known company that is still in business is the Congo Gumi Corporation. It's a Japanese construction company. And it was established in 578. <laughs> They've got experience, right? <laughs> God has the experience of eternity past. And since the beginning of creation, he's been fixing broken things for 6,000 years. You want an advertisement statement for trust. God has been in the business of fixing the broken, of faithfully delivering for over 6,000 years. So he has a longevity of faithfulness. And then also there's the examples of his faithfulness. There's the examples of his deliverance when in verse 7, the psalmist says, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. Now, as I read this, think about a person this might apply. Think about a person uh, in scripture that this might be talking about. Who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. Who might that be talking about? I heard Jesus. Yes. Sunday school, God, Jesus, Bible, you know, those three answers always get it. Yes, who else sets the prisoner free is opening the eyes of the blind. Who is doing this? Jesus opens the scroll of Isaiah in Luke 4, and he reads. And part of what he reads says, the Lord has sent me for the recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And I actually mentioned, I mentioned Jesus opening the scroll of Isaiah when, I, when we were preaching in Isaiah in, a, in a, a section that has this same kind of language. But what I found really, really interesting is there in Luke 4, Jesus starts to talk about a widow and a foreigner or a sojourner. Verse nine, the Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. So when Jesus is speaking in Luke four, he's drawing from themes from all over scripture that are repeated. But I think he's in particular drawing a theme that's here about widows and fatherless. And what he said is, look, there were a ton of widows, but Elijah was sent to a widow outside of Israel and Sidon. Look, there were a bunch of people who had leprosy. There were a bunch of lepers, but Elisha healed Naaman, the Syrian, the non-Israelite, the foreigner. And Jesus is saying, and this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now he's reading from Isaiah, but the same theme is here. And you get the widows and fathers added, or widows and the sojourners added in. And then what happens in Luke 4? They rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. As Jesus is repeating uh, these things that the Israelites sing, I thought about the phenomena that you all experience. You know, when someone says something and it's a line from a song, you know, and that song 
starts to play in your head because they've said the line from the song. Jesus is saying things from the hymn book of Israel. And I, this is not written in scripture. This is just a, you know, thought of mine. I can't help but wonder if as Jesus is saying things that the people sing, if they start to think, oh, we sing this in Psalm 146. Who are we singing about? Yahweh sets the prisoner free. Yahweh opens the eyes of the blind. Yahweh lifts up those who are bowed down. All of those are Yahweh, 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 Yahweh. And Jesus is saying, this is him? Oh, no, 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 no. Off the cliff you go, Jesus. They do exactly what the psalmist encourages them not to do, which is not to put trust in themselves and princes, but actually in Jesus himself, who is Yahweh, Father, Son, and Spirit. God has a longevity of faithfulness. There's examples of his, of his faithful deliverance that are actualized in the person of Jesus Christ. And then lastly, notice the other reason, the other grounds for our trust and praise in God is his longevity of rule, his longevity of reign. Verse 10, the Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations, praise the Lord. As I thought about this line, the Lord will reign forever. I thought about, again, songs. I thought about the Hallelujah Chorus from Handel's Messiah. If you don't know, that's the Hallelujah, Hallelujah, you know. Uh, and there is a portion where the lyrics are, and he shall reign forever and ever. And he shall reign forever and ever. And then you get another part that comes in, and ever and ever. And, he and there is just this building and layering of the music, and it gives you the sound of reigning forever. Just this thunder rolling of reign forever and ever and ever and ever. And he shall reign forever and ever. That is the idea that I want us to realize when we read the Lord will reign forever. It is a perpetual, unstopping, all-encompassing reign. And I love how Handel captures that just in the way the lyrics and the layering is composed. I'm not even, I'm not like a musician or anything. I just love the way it sounds. I think it's communicated beautifully. The Lord shall reign. The Lord will reign forever. I was talking about businesses earlier. And you know, whenever uh, you see a sign on a business that says under new management, well, what's it trying to communicate? We were bad, now we're good because there's a new manager, right? Under new management, give us, a, give us another chance. And what do you do whenever you have an issue in a business? You say, could I speak to the manager, please? There is no new management needed with God. And what do you do? What I am encouraging you to do is when you have an issue of trust or sin or sorrow, go to the manager. He can do something about it because he is in charge of the whole, of the whole business, of the whole universe, right? He reigns forever. Trust God, speak to God, plead with God because he's in charge. 
this is um, my last sermon at Forest Gate Presbyterian that I'll preach. At least, well, unless Matt and Stephen get sick and no one else can preach, then I'll, pre- then I'll preach. <laughs> so it could happen. It could happen, right? Uh, but Lord willing, if everybody's healthy, this is my last sermon. And as I thought, I didn't actually do this intentionally, uh, but as I thought about my departure, I thought, wow, what a good time to say, put not your trust in man. Pastors will come and go. We will expire. Even if a pastor is at a church for their entire lifetime, our breath departs. And so it's a reminder as someone is departing to never put your trust for salvation, never put ultimate confidence in any under shepherd. Look to the good shepherd, to Christ. And our duty as elders should be to point your eyes there. And then subsequently, you in your life should not be pointing eyes to you or to anyone else but Christ. So I just wanted to give that brief exhortation and reminder. Where is someone drawing your eyes and where are you pointing someone else's eyes? Don't let it be any man. We will depart. We will expire. So it's put your trust in God who endures, who has longevity of faithfulness and existence forever. Uh, read a, probably like an anonymous story. I couldn't find a source for anything and you've probably might've even heard it before, but a little girl and her father crossing a bridge and he gets, you know, he's must've had no rails. So he's a little bit concerned for her and he tells her, please hold my hand so that you don't fall in the river. And she says, no, dad, you hold my hand. Well, what's the difference that she's talking about? If I hold your hand, so if the little girl, if, if I hold your hand and something happens to me, chances are that I may let your hand go. But if you hold my hand, I know for sure that no matter what happens to me, you will never let my hand go. God is praiseworthy because he is trustworthy to hold our hand. If we were relying on ourselves to hold his hands like this, something would happen and we would lose our grip. But what's the reality? God has his grip so much stronger, eternally so, on us. And that's why he's praiseworthy. He's trustworthy. Let's pray. God, we thank you that we can trust you. We lament and ask for forgiveness in all the times that we have let our eyes turn to someone else to deliver some sort of promise that really has no promise of salvation. Lord, we desire to praise your name and we ask that you would enable us to do that because we trust you. We know that we can grow in our praises and we seek to do that now because we pray and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.